0: Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlepage and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 359, Damar Matthews, unearthing a new aesthetic for black architecture. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors. Arcat, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more, all for free. FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure, spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love. And Gusto, the easy online payroll and benefits service built for modern small businesses like ours. In other words, a people platform. So thanks to RCAT, FreshBooks and Gusto for supporting the Entree Architect community of small firm architects. Damar Matthews, welcome to Entree Architect podcast. Thank you for having me. It's it's good to have you here, Damar. Damar Matthews is a Los Angeles based architectural designer, theorist and creative. Damar is the founder and principal of Off Top Design. He also works at the Architecture and Design Museum in Los Angeles as a Curator Exhibitions Associate. Born in Moreno uh, Valley, California, DeMar received his bachelor's from HBCU Lincoln University in Pennsylvania and his Master's of Architecture at Woodbury University, where he uh, was awarded the Graduate Thesis Prize for his project, Black Architecture, Unearthing the Black Aesthetic, which is what we're going to talk about today because I'm super interested in where that is today. and and what you're doing with that today. Uh, Damar believes architecture and good design should not only be for the privileged few. Every community deserves to be proud of the built environment around them, and the built environment around them should be based on the cultures of the people who live there, regardless of income, race, and gender. So Damar, I shared a little bit about you. What we do here at Entree Architect Podcast is we dive into our guest's origin story, So, I would love for you to go back as far as you want to go back. What inspired you to become an architect and share that story from that moment to where we are today?
1: Sure. So, um, I guess to. Hmm. All right. I I guess if it's about architecture, I can start around age, I guess we'll say 15, 16, when everyone kind of starts to drive.
0: Yeah. Um, So, middle school, early high school. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so you know, I'm from Reno Valley and that's about, you know, 50 miles, um, east of LA and you know, the, the scale of buildings are a lot different down there. And I would always find myself, you know, just driving somewhere, whether it would be kind of riverside or all, even all the way out to LA. And I never really knew why I was just driving. And, yeah, yeah. um, I knew that I wanted to be around taller buildings, but I didn't, you know, it was still kind of, I guess, manifesting in my head what I was ultimately right. going to do. So
0: you just, you would just hop in the car and go, you just go yeah. on an, an adventure, see where the car takes you and, and land somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And I did that too. As, a teenager. as soon as I got my license, that was the first thing I did. I just it, drove wherever the car took me.
1: It's nice, you know, because, yeah. you know, before you don't realize how, how, Uh, your perspective is kind of so small because of what you see. right? And um, and I didn't know what, you know, I didn't know what this was going to be later. And I ended up going to um, college in Pennsylvania. um, Lincoln University is where I did my undergrad. And um, I'm a first generation college student. So I didn't really know how to handle college, how to I didn't plan on going initially, um, you know, I was getting kicked out of schools and high schools and, you know, I went to about three schools and by the end, I'm just thinking, well, I don't know who what's going to be next, but um, I ended up getting into Lincoln University, luckily. Did you, and, have, uh, did you have
0: a focus when you, when you decided to go there? Did you um, know what you wanted to do?
1: No. Well, I, I thought about architecture at that point point, but the school didn't have architecture yeah, yeah. so um, I was kind of just trying to navigate and say okay what else do people do to make money and um, you know which is a weird place to navigate for first generation college student where you're trying to figure out oh you got into college what do you do <laughs> um, yeah,
0: right right
1: so I just went towards kind of the tried and true money maker. Positions or I guess degrees. So I went um, with bio and uh, religion as my as a dual degree, and that's what I graduated with. Um, and you know I wanted architecture still, but you know just kind of trying to navigate. And uh, once I graduated, um, I took about three years off um, from school, and I was working full time, mostly in healthcare. Um, and but it just you know, I finally was making money for the first time ever. Uh, and it was, but I just was really unhappy with the position. Um, no matter so which what, position what in was, health, I,
0: what were you doing in healthcare?
1: Um, I was a national or I was a territory manager for, um, a DME, which is durable medical equipment. I was mostly breathing equipment or, um, Ventilators, oxygen, things like that. I would have to um, have in services at hospitals and with patients to show them how it works and yeah. speak about certain pr- things like that. And, um,
0: and in, your, in your schooling with biology, that, that sort of educated you for that sort of role? That was where you went when you had that sort of degree? Right. right. And okay. I was
1: thinking you know, that I would eventually go to medical school or something, yeah. and I yep. was kind of just trying to figure it out. And I just didn't realize how much I hated medicine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It just was not where you were landing.
1: No, it was not. And I I started, um, you know, because I I started a master's in public health and I lasted about three months and I just said, I got to get out of here. I don't know what this is. And so I just was in a big searching phase for a while and um, maybe about at least six months uh, I was just meditating and reading and trying to figure out where you know where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do and um, I was always into some sort of uh, creative expression whether it was through painting or clothes design uh, just building small scale things I was building my bed when I was 19 yeah uh, because I thought it was so cool to just build your own little thing and Um, so I finally, you know, went back towards architecture and applied at Woodbury and I think maybe one more place, I forget where, um, and they allowed me in with, with a really random mix of portfolio images somehow. (laughs) Um, and so I think that's really how I, how I kind of got into architecture was, was at that point, I guess I had finally started to realize because I was still driving around yeah. At this point, I, it never kind of stopped in my life. And especially when I'm trying to think of something, Yeah. I was realizing benefited. that I was, yeah. But specifically yep. to go towards these buildings that I mm-hmm. don't often see in my own, in my own neighborhood. And, yes. and I was, it was kind of me figuring out that this is where, this is why I've been driving around these buildings. You know, right. I, I like buildings.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. um, when, when in the story, mm-hmm. um, so as soon as you got your license, you started doing that you went off to school, did your thing, that wasn't, wasn't what it was. All through this, you're driving, still seeking out architecture, right? The, the buildings of architecture, not the profession, the buildings of architecture, sort of subconsciously going toward the buildings. Um, when did it become, when did it manifest that, oh, this is something I could do and there's a profession for me to do that? When did you sort of, did you, did you know as a child that there was, because a lot of architects, when they tell their story, there's a moment in their story when they discovered what art, uh, that there's a profession of architecture, right? That there's somebody who does that kind of stuff and I could do that. W- when was that for you? Was that some time during that 15 year old driving or was it later when you started thinking, well, maybe this is something for me. Let me go s- figure out what this is.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that it probably started, uh, around, like we figuring out that architecture is an option. Um, probably around when I got to college, uh, I, I wasn't, you know, I really didn't even know what kind of things college offered to kids. Right. I was really green because I just knew nothing about it. I went yep. to the school sight unseen, it sent my money off right before the deadline. So I just, I just, so when, you, said, when, oh, you left, it. when you
0: left, when uh, you left California and went to Pennsylvania, that first time was I'm, I'm starting college. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I thought the school was in, in downtown Philadelphia or something because of how the brochure put it. Yeah. And I went down there and it is literally in Amish country. And there wow. <laughs> I was a little bit of a, a shell. Yeah, shock. <laughs> I know Amish
0: country. I'm a Jersey boy, so it's you know, it's 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 um, <laughs> Okay. I could imagine that it was a m- major culture shock when you got there, like, whoa, where am I? What am I what am I doing here? Yeah,
1: yeah. Two stoplights in the whole in the whole town. Yeah. How was far little, was it, it from was the city? Culture um, only about forty miles.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so not, within not you know, within bad. a quick ride, so you could still do your drives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it gave me enough
1: time to kind of breathe and process. But I, I think that while I was around there is where it kind of started to pique my interest in terms of. Of uh, could that be something because mm-hmm. um, you know I never really saw it growing up or anything I didn't know anybody um, but at this point I still hadn't known any um, black architecture architects personally I just didn't know anyone. Yeah. Um, I would say that it really sort of uh, manifested in terms of considering that this is an option probably around twenty, 20 I mean yeah probably about two years after graduating uh, from my undergrad when I was kind of doing this deep dive on options and kind of ways to kind of uh, express my creativity, um, but without kind of just going into art.
0: Yeah. 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 So, so you have this pull towards architecture. It sort of manifests in those drives after, you know, in between knowing that this isn't what I want in medicine. What do I want going out? sort of just trying to figure out your, who you are and what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And, uh, and you decide, Oh, let's try architecture. Let's try this thing. So how did, how did Woodbury fit into the story?
1: Um, so I was at a, I was, uh, I think my title at the time was a national recruitment manager for this, uh, hospital chain or this hospital corporation. And, um, I was making, I was finally, you know, I was really making okay money. And I say that because I've never made money before, (laughs) you know, I was always in poverty. And so uh, it was hard to leave because, you know, it was kind of uh, financial security or stability, but I knew that I wasn't gonna be happy no matter how long it kind of went, so. How difficult um, was that decision?
0: Because That's, I mean, it's, it's not just, I, I'm just gonna, you know, change professions, you know, life is gonna be fine. It says, if I leave this, that money stops, that money that I never had, now I have it. I could do this for the rest of my life, make decent money. I won't be happy, but I'll make decent money, but I'm not happy. And so yeah. there you have to choose between making myself happy and having the security of that money. How difficult was that decision?
1: That's it. It was tough at first. Um, I knew that I wouldn't stop being happy but it's like you know even my mom who is so supportive you know but she was like why would you leave your job <laughs> you know you making money finally yeah. uh and you know we don't really know to say I'm going to go back to school I was the first person to go so she's like well you got your degree what you right, gonna you're go done back for? go make your money yeah. now yeah. <laughs> so so she was kind of worried in that sense but I just I just have never been a person to kind of sit and sit in something when I'm not content. So um, that made it a little easier to just, to quit the job. And, you know, I had some savings and I put some money up Um, Didn't last long thanks to architecture, but yeah, it was, it was, (laughs) but it was okay. Yeah. That's really how, how the kind of transition happened.
0: Yeah. And then, so you, uh, did you apply directly to Woodbury and say, that's where I want to go?
1: Um, yeah. And I, I didn't know about architecture schools, you know, I, I didn't know what sci was and any of these things. So yeah, I really just applied through kind of what I was looking at and what I thought could kind of work for my schedule because I was still going to be working a lot. Uh, yeah. I didn't know how much, but, uh, I knew I would still be working. Um, so yeah, I really, I just applied and, um, thank goodness they were, (laughs) I don't know, I was feeling friendly that day because I didn't really submit a real portfolio.
0: And so you, so you got in and how, how did Woodbury work out for you?
1: Uh, Ultimately, it was fine. Um, You know, I think um, one was, one of the real positives was the small, I guess, class size. And, um, you know, so you get to spend time with, A professor if it before COVID you're able to spend time with a professor Um, you know I definitely had some challenges there too Um, ultimately I really liked the school but yeah there's challenges and I don't know that if you don't go to a historically black college that you're ever gonna get out of the kind of challenges that I'm really speaking about but it um, you know it's just to be the only uh, black person in your grad class for three years is, you know, and this is (laughs) through graduate school, you know, and and then the undergrad program, there may be one to two black men there. Um, So it's just, you know, it's a little weird because it's a different style of major where now, you know, all your work is public and all your work gets critiqued right and um i didn't realize the certain barriers that are kind of of there for and with that kind of thing one to just i guess to you know architecture has its own language and i didn't have that language <laughs> and um and i think everybody i would figure that everybody kind of had that struggle but most of the students come in with a background in architecture um but I really because right, you're,
0: you're talking about graduate school. Right? right. So a lot of graduate graduate architecture graduates came from an undergraduate architecture program. Yeah. Or some other related field, and they're going to go get, get their master's in architecture in order to have that degree. Right.
1: And so it was, it was tough to figure out how to speak. Yeah. And I didn't know that... You know, I, a lot of people tell me now, oh, you're so well-spoken. I kind of laugh about it because... Um, you know where I grew up and and there's a different style of speaking, and it's you know when I get into school, I don't know how many times that I was trying to explain an idea or a concept, but it was going over everyone's head because I couldn't speak it in their yeah. language, yeah you did you not know, no so yeah. that i I would say that that's kind of a tough thing getting being understood and and this little uh, kind of paranoia about, you know, we also didn't have any black professors at at Woodbury, any black architecture professors. And if I I was never shown black architecture, I was never shown uh, architecture that was in a black community. Um, And, you know, when you look at your school and then just kind of general architecture, you can kind of understand why there's, why you're not seeing that. Um so it kind of will put you in like a bit of an isolated or uh make you feel a little bit isolated at times. Yeah. Um yeah, but ultimately the experience at Woodbury was good.
0: Were they supportive? Did they recognize the situation? I'm sure they did not recognize the, the depth of the situation, but did they recognize that 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 you were feeling different because you were the only black student in the program? There's no black professors you're not learning anything about black history there's nothing it's just you you're just with which is you know from their point of view you're in a program with architects and you're learning architecture they don't know any better either right they and so and that's the problem right that's there is the problem and so um were they supportive did they sort of recognize anything um so i had the the moment of <laughs>
1: with the article uh, yeah that explain that because
0: i read it i know what happened but explain it for the people who who are listening who have no idea what's what happened sure
1: so um i was in a we were in a, a critique and the class was a a really small class maybe six of us at the most and the professor is speaking about the work on the board all of our work and they saying um Oh, you know, I don't know. They just decide to say who each person can be like, and you know. So he's going. You could be like uh, Eisenman. You could be like Gary. You could be like etc. And then he uh, finally gets to me, and they're like, "You could be like Obama." I don't know. I don't, I don't know any black architects. And you know, this is this is in a class. You know, this is a lot. This is in front of a
0: studio. Yeah. This isn't just you and him face to face. This is in front of you. No,
1: no. So I am, I'm so mad, you know, and I'm I'm sitting here trying to figure out when I already have been feeling isolated and kind of paranoid, this sort of thing that always creeps up on somebody. And, and then when it's like put out on display, I almost wanted to, you know, I, it, I guess coming from my, the environment I grew up in, you know, you just handle things a completely different way. Right. Right. And, uh, you want to get angry. Yeah. And And you want to show it. Right. And, but I know that I, that's really probably not the right thing to do. Right. Yep. And so it was hard because I just sat there and as I felt completely disrespected, um, I just got to look, you know, and I'm thinking, how is this, how is this okay that I have to take this, you know? And, and so I got an assignment that night and it was about intertextuality, which is um, where you take pieces of text and you um, kind of put them together to make them form your own meaning or your own paragraph or whatever. And I did that assignment, but, and that was only, it was only needed to be for a paragraph. But after I sent that assignment, I did another full page of (laughs) intertextuality that was speaking really just from, um, black, uh, designers and architects. And, um, I took pieces of them saying how they feel to be the only black person in a room. And, um, and then I explained to him what that situation made me feel like and why I think. So you did that
0: in the assignment by doing the Mm. assignment you explained it to him? So yeah,
1: thank, it, I was so thankful that that was
0: our assignment that day. Yeah, it gave you some <laughs> therapy, but some way to yeah. let it out without raging.
1: Yeah. yeah, and so the next day, the professor asked to meet. And so I went up to the school, and we met, and uh, they apologized and said, you know, they can't believe they did that, and et cetera. And, and they actually uh, offered, one, to mentor me, and then two, uh they suggested that I write about it because of how much I wrote in that first, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. that first piece, and so I did do that, and um, so now we have a, a, a pretty good relationship, uh, which is, you know, I, I was nervous about that because it could have just went the other way. It could have gone and either way, and I would have just felt even more isolated and thought that now I can't even go to my professor, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, at that point is where my voice kind of started to be heard. Um, and it was, it was at my school definitely, but it, it was a little bit beyond to, you know, the, the word got way further than what I would think it was.
0: Um, How did that happen? How did, I, how did it get out that, that this happened? Um, I had so I
1: was telling someone from Archonnect, um, cause I work at the museum and at the time, um, Anthony Mori was the, well, he's still the executive director of the museum, but he was working at our as well at the time. And I was. And, and just for anybody who doesn't him, know,
0: our is an online, it's like an online magazine for architects and architecture.
1: Yep. Yeah. Okay. And um, so he was an editor and I was telling him about um, something that I wrote and which was, you know, that piece. And I was explaining how I feel in school and I had never really told anybody this, but I was comfortable, you know, at the time I'm at the museum where I feel really comfortable. Yeah, and, yeah. and he said he wanted to put it out if, whenever I'm ready. So that's kind of how it happened was, you know, he got to kind of read it and understand the situation from me speaking and then he allowed me to write it
0: yeah yeah and then so so it was published in Connect and then what happened after that um well and when and then I when was that that was that was that was 2000 last not i think that was last april so oh, i so think last it was april. Oh, 2019. So okay 2019.
1: yeah and um well i had a meeting with with the dean probably the day a day or two after And she was speaking about, um, you know, ways to make, ways to engage Black students, ways to make us feel more comfortable. Um, And that's after the article? Outreach and, yes. And she asked if she could share it with her whole staff. And, um, you know, so every teacher ended up reading this thing at my school, which is kind of nice because I was thinking that nobody's ever really going to know how I... What I'm thinking and and it's it's weird because i wa I was always at the school because I had no experience and so i was in I lived in studio and um because I was just thinking, you know if I outwork everybody, then I'm gonna just catch up um and I would see I would see professors come up on weekends and be with their students you know maybe one or two students in studio just to kind of guide them through something that they were they wanted some help on and I would be there and nobody's coming you know professors walk up and down nobody even looks at me I'm like what is happening you know and I was just thinking am I making people uncomfortable or something like what what is it um so I think at, at after I did all this then it made Um, some people want to speak to me and kind of try to to understand and so it it was nice because that that's kind of the first thing that made me feel like I could have a voice in architecture Um, Mm -hmm. even if it wasn't through an architectural thing you know and um, and that kind of led to what I'm doing now but
0: We will return to our conversation right after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and Gusto. Every day, more architecture professionals are adding RCAT to their workflow to save them time and money. RCAT helps designers, specifiers, and architects compare and select the best products for their projects using the powerful RCAT search engine. They also offer data files like BIM and CAD and specifications right there on the same site for free without registration. There's no catch, no cost, no email. It's all free. All your building material information and all your manufacturer information, all in one convenient place. Visit rcat.com today to see why so many professionals are consolidating their product search to one task. Visit rcat.com. That's rcat.com arcat.com visit arcat.com today there's lots to love about being an entrepreneur architect but trying to figure out your financials on your own is not one of those things luckily there's FreshBooks the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for business owners like us FreshBooks takes all of the not so fun parts of running a business, from building and tracking invoices, to organizing expenses, to managing online payments, all of that, and it automates them and simplifies them, saving you up to 11 hours a week in the process. 11 hours. FreshBooks has your back at tax time too, with tons of reports to choose from. You'll know exactly where your business stands, and you can easily hand over the keys to your accountant so they can take over when it's time to reconcile everything for the year. Try FreshBooks for free, 30 days. No credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com architect and enter Entree Architect in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com architect. And let them know that you're a member of the Entree Architect community. Freshbooks.com architect. Look. 2020 has proven to be the year of many things. But if you own your own architecture business, this could be the year that you switch to better payroll. Gusto wasn't just built for small businesses, it was built for the people behind them like you and me. Their online payroll is so easy to use. Gusto can automatically calculate paychecks and file all your payroll taxes automatically which means you have more time to run your business. Plus, Gusto does way more than payroll. Gusto helps with time tracking, health insurance, 401ks, onboarding, commuter benefits, offer letters, access to HR experts. You get the idea. It's super easy to set up and get started. And if you are moving from another provider, they can transfer all your data for you. It's no surprise that 94% of customers are likely to recommend Gusto. And here's the best part, because you're a listener right here at Entree Architect Podcast, you get three months free, totally free. All you have to do is go to gusto.com architect and all the details are there. Again, go to gusto.com architect. You'll thank me. You're going to love Gusto. Get started today at gusto.com slash architect. fresh FreshBooks. And gusto. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architects community. So, can you explain? Yeah. This, that became your thesis. Can you explain your thesis?
1: Yeah, sure. So, my thesis is uh, on Black architecture, and, and um, the title is Unearthing the Black Aesthetic. And really, you know, after I was writing the article, I got this influx of people. Whether it was students, it was people who were in the field already. It was uh, firm principals. It was uh, professors, you know. And it and it was so interesting because I'm thinking, I'm a year and a half in. I don't know anything. I just kind <laughs> of was able to talk my mess through this thing. And um, but people, it, how it touched people, I wasn't really. I wasn't planning for, and but the stories that I would hear from everybody are that that this thing was happening in every architecture school, and um, I just you know if if I was wondering about how how all these students can feel this, and there's you know however many architecture schools there are, and I'm wondering how many are being shown black architecture, and what is black architecture. Because you know, I, I started to kind of pose this question: What's black architecture? And no one could give me an image or break it down. But if I say, um, "What's a black neighborhood?" Do you, is there an image there or a perception there? And th- there is, you know. And um, and that was like the most interesting point where I found that out: that people have no no uh, concept of black architecture and how it looks. But there is a strong perception of black neighborhoods, and black neighborhoods get a negative connotation. You know, the yeah, hood yeah. is specifically a black neighborhood thing. And um, I was wondering how how this affects all the people who wrote me, or who commented on on the the article. How does it affect us to to be able to or to be taught design from a Eurocentric um, methodology, I guess, yeah. uh, or with, and if I'm just learning that, and if I'm only seeing things that are in other communities, then that means I'm a graduate and I'm mm-hmm. not going to know how to design for my own community. I'll only know how to design for other people's community. And, and so I was interested in kind of finding what this is. And um, one day specifically that kind of just made me really focus in on this is I I was um, riding not too far from where I live um, coming up the freeway and my girlfriend was looking and she found these these houses and she was so excited about the houses, you know, and I'm thinking (laughs) they're just little houses and she's she's in law school. So she doesn't she doesn't really care about architecture before, you know, before I yeah started architecture
0: she cares about it because you care about
1: it yeah but this thing what she was excited and i look and she's like those look exactly like the houses where i'm from and um she was born and and raised in uh, Guanajuato, mexico and she just had this sense of pride about these houses looking like home and you know and to see her face bubble up off of that to, to feel that I've never felt that in an area. You know, if I go and I feel like home in an area, it's in it's in an area that's probably the built environment isn't great. You know, if I'm feeling comfortable for or for L.A., um, I can give an example for L.A. Watts, Compton, Crenshaw district are areas that a lot of people are afraid to go to but that that's where I feel comfortable. Yeah. That was
0: that, that environment was your home. So you feel connected to it.
1: Right. But then when you start to analyze the built environment there and you realize what's there and it's it, why I don't feel that sense of pride that she felt it's because the environment doesn't speak to me. It's the environment is really, it's actually just kind of, uh, aiding in a negative image of, of black people in a sense, or in my opinion. So I I was looking at bars on the windows. I was looking at bars on all the doors. Um, right. It's built for
0: security and, and, um, correct. And, uh, uh, durability. Right.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and which is horrible, you know, what does that mean for the person who lives there? Right. And,
0: um, It's a direct response to the way that the people who own those buildings mm -hmm. feel about the people who live around those buildings. Exactly,
1: exactly. And um, I was interested in trying to put, or trying to establish an aesthetic that really speaks to black culture, traditions, values, um, experience. And uh, I got lucky and I was able to uh, secure a ground lease with a homeowner and Watts um, named Janine Watkins and first day we met I was telling her about what I wanted to do to try and get her to to allow me to do it on her land and which is right next to the watchtowers and uh, we maybe spoke for three or four hours that first day that I met her and she, you know by the end of the conversation she said you do whatever you want on the land. That's
0: amazing. And <laughs> How did you how did you meet Janine?
1: Uh, so it was actually through a, uh, another professor named Michael Pinto of NAC Architecture. And uh, the first day of my last year of the MR program, I was, I was, that idea of the, the black architecture thesis was already cooking. Yep. And I was just speaking to him, you know, when something takes over your passion, yeah, you talk be to everybody passionate. about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm telling him, he's not my thesis advisor. I'm just telling him what I want to do. And he said, "Oh, you need to meet this lady, and that's that's Janine. And uh, her husband is actually the director of Watts Community Labor Action
0: Committee, which is
1: the biggest nonprofit in Watts, and they're they're having a, a good amount to do with the project as well."
0: So she had a, a, an allied an allied mission that she he wants to improve the built environment in Watts yeah. as well.
1: Yeah, she wants to uh, improve retail opportunities. She wants uh, the built environment to change. And she what she's really focused on is creating symmetry with the community. So a big part of what we're doing it, along our fence line is an art walk. And this art walk has, free fruits, vegetables, um, spices that people can all just come and take for free. And it has a book or a book drive that people can also, everything along this wall is free. A book drive, there's two different canvases. And by the way, our fence line is almost 300 feet. So it's a huge, (laughs) we got a lot of opportunity there. And then there's two frames, one that is for Um, artists who will be doing a a residency program and that'll be a quarterly um, outdoor exhibit there and the second frames are for the community to be able to come and you know put what they want on the wall and that'll be whatever they want it to be yeah Um, hopefully that's going to be children doing more of that
0: yeah and then so so is it is are you going to be designing buildings as well
1: Yes, um, and I think so it's an ADU. It's a 700 square foot ADU that we're making and it's a live work residence for um, an artist who will will live on the site. Um, It's really hard for black artists out here to exhibit their work. So we're trying to be able to make this place um, beneficial and we're trying to make it all about resources and how we can kind of, we're kind of designing outward for the community and how we can, how we can give them as many resources as we can through, you know, a house and a
0: fence. Yeah. And so, so it, it's, is it going to have a, you know, quote unquote black aesthetic? Is that, is that what you're, w- w- explain to me what that is so I understand what's influencing that design. Sure. So actually it was,
1: it was a lot. Um, Really, I would say, um, number one, I didn't look at, you know, after my second year, I haven't looked at a, a precedent that was not from a black architect or an yeah. African architect since then. And so I kind of was just shifting my focus for this last year on on Black's techniques and aesthetics that are really established already but not you know in architecture yeah so things like hairstyles box braids waves for men um dances which are really particular to Black culture um and I looked at kind of the last I looked at like the last 25 really popular dance craves or dance crazes in uh the last like 20 years or so um There was a lot of reading all about, you know, books about James or books from James Baldwin all the way to Ta-Nehisi Coates. Um, There was an extensive art research. um, And I had a bunch of kind of taxonomy lists that you'll see on the website where I would kind of take characteristics that um, from black people, whether it's from literature, uh, music, uh, anything like that, and take words that Black people are using to describe Black culture, and I started to kind of assign characteristics through that. Um, so yeah, I think that in terms of the aesthetics, it it touches on Black experience and Black perception in in the world. It touches on um, how we dance. It touches on the ways that we that our hair uh, is styled. Um, it's and it's really in terms of how, or I guess the ultimate or biggest meanings of the house um, is that it's intended to improve self-perception. Um, and I'm kind of addressing architecture with this house. I think how I see this thing is having nine, I almost see this as a case study thing, where there's nine different houses and nine black major Black cities in America and they all kind of react to black culture in that specific area but this one right here this house in watts is it is reacting to watts culture but it's also addressing architecture and the lack of attention that architecture has given black communities and um i'm kind of trying to explain to architects how they kind of have dropped the ball on these black communities and how we can design for I guess the, the hot word right now is design for dignity and, um, how we can kind of do that in these communities.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause the, the people who live in around the built environment affect the built environment and the built environment affects the people who live around them. Right. And, and if you have, uh, a, an environment of steel bars and, and concrete walls, it's not going to be a very good environment. You know, the, uh, the neighborhood around it is going to be influenced by that. And so, um, This is very exciting that, that you've, that you're, that you're building this as a case study. So you can see how it works here. It can inspire other architects to do similar things in other cities, um, and, and become part of the solution long-term, right? That, that there's lots of, there's so many, I mean, so many different things that need to be done, but the built environment is a massive piece of it, right? That if we can rebuild the, the built environment, um, then then it becomes part of the overall solution of the things that we're trying to fix and so um it's, it's 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 incredibly inspiring uh very motivating and uh it it's i i love seeing and hearing what you've done to this point what is the what is your plan for the future what what do you hope that this does because certainly you've had an impact with your article and you've seen what uh, expressing yourself can do when you open up and and share that with the world that can influence in, in a very positive way. You're clearly using this architecture and this project in a very similar way, but more intentionally. And so what's your, what's your plans for the future for, for this project?
1: Um, I really want this project to be able to, uh, I I want the community to be able to benefit off this project really, Um, and it's not even only the black community, I I want, I definitely feel that there needs to be a a cultural kind of imprint on the built environment to allow pride um, for everyone, but I think for this I, I want with that art walk and the the health and wellness aspect of the art walk, Watts has one grocery store in the whole city and it's 10,000 people and it's a food for less, which is a, it's nobody likes food for less. You know, you get the fruit is older. They don't have like good produce. Yeah. And to be able to provide something like free fruits and vegetables to a community who doesn't have, you know, they, they just don't get that and it's because of where they, they were born or where they yeah. live now. Yeah. Um, things like this, things like allowing a kid to, to uh, create on the wall, one, introducing him to architecture or her to architecture young, but to have them do a, a sketch on the wall on our art walk wall before the building is up and to hopefully be able to respond to, to their sketches because I, the community has been really involved in this and, I've got to hold meetings with community members where they go over, we go over the design together and I have to respond to these in real time, you know, but um, I feel like I want young black children to be able to be inspired from this as well as students. And I know if they could go and sketch something and just see a lingering of what that is, that it came to life. I just want to I just hope that it inspired, because I'm inspired by this stuff happening, and I'm inspired by what people tell me after they read an article or they see what else, what we're trying to work on over here. Um, so, right now I'm trying to focus on lots, but we also have a secondary property in Philadelphia that we're working on the same thing with, um, you know, developing this black aesthetic.
0: Um, and I,
1: I think ultimately I. Hopefully, teaching. Hopefully, um, more writing and a good amount of building is what I'm really hoping that I can uh, that I can achieve. And you know, you already know who I'm kind of trying to speak for. Um, yeah.
0: yeah, How can we help? We have a we have a lot of people listening. And if there was a way for us to to help in any way, what could we do?
1: Sure. So we actually will start our funding tomorrow um we already have we're sponsored by the architecture and design museum for this whole project and we already have a um you know contributors and people who have given pledges but now we're really into our funding phase so um feel free to reach out to me at tomorrow off top design or on my instagram if you are interested in funding our our gofundme should be up uh hopefully by tomorrow um at the latest but next by next week but uh Right now, I think in terms of we're we're looking for for funding sources right now, um, and we're also looking for uh, resources. Um, so I think that's a huge help to help us get this thing built. Um, otherwise. I- I don't know, maybe ask me
0: <laughs> yeah yeah well it's it's Demar at offtopdesign.com is the email. so if you want to reach out yeah. to Demar and say hey I got some ideas I can help you know whether it's funding or or ideas or support or or manpower whatever it is um, even take word of mouth yeah, yeah if you can just share share just share this episode with somebody else and say hey listen to what Demar's saying and doing here um, he's making a difference. Uh, then do that. This episode was recorded in July, just for anybody who is listening later. It's July 2020. Um, so if it, how long Demar, is, is your uh, fundraising planned to go on? Uh, about three months. Okay. So yeah, three months. To, mm-hmm. Okay. So I will share it immediately. Now in Thank July, you. we'll share it on our networks because this podcast will come out later. Um, if the funding is no longer active and you still want to donate, <laughs> reach out to Demar I'm sure going to, to turn away your money. So um, definitely reach out to DeMar, it's D E M A R at offtop a o o f f t o p designcom dot um, Demar, before we wrap up, I'd like to ask you the one question that we ask everybody: sure. What is what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Um,
1: I would say the feel better for tomorrow you can't think about your own um gains uh the you know this this house doesn't even necessarily look how the first 10 versions of the house looked and that's because of what people have told me how they feel about it and i think that a lot of architects probably would have been reluctant to change that and say oh everybody thinks they're architects but when you really care about what everybody in the community thinks of something, then I just think that that impacts design so much and that can impact the built environment so much. And people, you know, when it's selfless, people, people see it. I think that people see it. And um, I agree. So, so I, I think that that would be my advice.
0: His name is DeMar Matthews the website. If you want to learn more about what he's doing with the Watts project, uh, with black architecture, uh, anything that, that you want to to help off top design is the website off top design.com. Damar, thank you for, um, for, for what you're doing. First of all, for, for improving uh, the world around us, uh, working on the, the bigger problems in the, in the areas in which you can control. That's something that I talk about very often is, is, focus on the things you can control, right? We can get very focused and, and broad, get too broad, right? With the, with our focus, we get so stressed about what's happening around us and nothing can happen from that. When you bring all that energy and all that anxiety and all that stress and, and maybe anger and sadness to a focus and say, okay, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to take it and I'm going to do something. You're a perfect example of that. Um, and so I appreciate you for, for inspiring others to do the same thing, to, to look around what you can do to make the world a better place. And so, Damar, thank you for sharing your story here today, for being so open about what you're doing and, 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 the, and the, the story of, of where you came from, what you experienced, and what you're doing today. Uh, if there's anything we can do to help, let us know. We're gonna sh- spread the word now about your fundraising. We're gonna talk about this uh, when, the, when the episode comes out. Um, but if there's anything else we can do to, uh, to help, just let us know. We appreciate you and, uh, and support you. And, and uh, thank you for sharing your story here at Entree Architect Podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate the kind words. I, I appreciate it.
0: You're listening to episode 359 of the Entree Architect Podcast. If you'd like to access the show notes, that has a bunch of links to all the things that Damar and I spoke about. The link is entrearchitect.com slash episode 359. And while you're at it, take that link and go share it with a friend. This is an important discussion that we had with Demar today. Uh, and I want everybody, the entire architecture profession to hear this episode. So if you haven't shared any episodes, share this one. entrearchitect.com slash episode 359. Since Damar and I spoke last July, he and his team have welcomed some new partners Gensler, Steinberg, Hart, and Studio MLA are on board and he's continuing to raise funds so if you're interested including some merch, go check it out. So if you want to contribute in any way, you want to share your knowledge, you want to just share your support, share your funds, you want to buy some merch, the website again is OffTopDesign.com That's OffTopDesign.com Go click that link right now and go check out what DeMar is doing over there you can learn all about the project and help make this thing a reality. So go check it out at offtopdesign.com. And quickly, before we wrap up here, I just wanted to remind you that Entre Architect Simple Systems, our new business systems program for small firm entrepreneur architects is now live. Go learn more at entrearchitect.com slash simple systems. Love, learn, and share what you know, my friends. Thank you for listening and have a great week.
1: I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this. I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the shit out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm.
0: Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical.
1: Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless
0: guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio.
1: One evening, stumbled into one last dive. We sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams.
0: In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) meant (laughs) Calling all small firm architects, it's time to tap into your full potential with Entre Architect's context and clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entre Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that
1: basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend
0: might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. (laughs) So uh, for me, the the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.